have sat in this spot, the middle of this is a sinkhole. So you it have is. to sit on the edge if you don't want to be like sucked into the abyss. Or sitting very far back. You got that audio? Sucked into the abyss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Couch abyss. This podcast is sponsored by Smart Water. And welcome to The Outpost, a podcast about inspired thinking. I am joined today by Mark and Derek and Krista. And you're Lacey. And I'm so happy to be here as Lacey. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty. That's all I got. What did you have for breakfast? I just had a little bit of oatmeal with a little honey in there. Mm. That's about it. A little bit of honey, not too much. Good. Need a little crunch next time and then it'll be complete. I was thinking, well, Krista ate all the raisins. And so I couldn't, I assume it was Krista. It's not fair. I said I would replace the raisins. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, just a little bit of oatmeal and honey right there. At night, right there. You can even see it. There's a little bit Get of oatmeal. Get your dirty I know. cup out it's of the shot. Mark, Mark eats oatmeal out of a mug and it, it bothers me more than it should. It's very, Because I don't, I don't have I a alone? massive bowl. I just feel like eating oatmeal out of a mug is, it's a unique, it's unique. All right, it's let's start unique. with community questions. Hit us please. in the comments about. All right, all right, moving on, moving on, moving on. Derek, you got a community question? For I do, I do. You ready? What sort of lasting impression do you hope your work will have on other people? Mm, okay, so let's think about that. Do we all have an answer for this? I mean, I feel like overall, my hope for my work is that anybody who would see my work would feel inspired to. Um, be more compassionate to people, maybe to listen better, um, better communication, more respect for people. That's kind of what what I push forward with most of my work. Would you agree with that? Did I? Thousand percent. Yeah, I mean, well? yeah, I mean, personally, from your perspective, yes, your mm-hmm. work as Lacey J has always been infused with that. And and from an Orange Nebula standpoint, everybody pretty much knows now. You know our little tagline motto is to inspire people to think bigger and unlock their own creativity. Right. So that's how we talk about that. So do you think from a personal perspective that defines what you hope your work legacy is? I do. I think, I think that did. I mean, yes, that kind of, it started with me, I think, but I think people here are like-minded and I think to a certain extent, most people want their work to positively impact someone else. Right. And touch them. It doesn't necessarily have to change their life. It doesn't have to, you know, alter their course. I think for us, if we could just inspire people to take action more than they normally would have, that's a thing for me. If it becomes a motivator, it's like, well, if they can do it, if that scrub Mark can do something, you know, or that awesome guy Derek can do something. I thought he was going to call me scrub. No. (laughs) And I would have been like, not far from the truth. No. If they can do it. You know, maybe I can do it, right? If this guy from Vancouver, Washington can do something, you know, I'm surrounded by extreme talent. You know, I feel sometimes intimidated by this group, right? Like the talent that we have, all of us here, especially J-Pop right there, the man behind the scenes. Behind uh, the camera. Making sure the AV's rocking, so. What about you, Krista? What, what kind of hope do you have that would be the impact on other people from your work? I hope that people in my work it acts as sort of a mirror to them like it allows them to see a part of themselves that maybe they haven't seen or haven't noticed or taken the time to look at i think that's 
when artwork can really move a person is when it reveals those things to them. So like when you were you were looking in your notebook over there and Mark looked over and said, is that your soul? That says more <laughs> about him than it does. <laughs> it is right there. She, she brings her sketchbook and at least three utensils everywhere she goes. Like there are no exceptions. Uh, you have three utensils, am I right? I hid them from the scene. So that <laughs> <laughs> my security pens. <laughs> security pens. I it's like, like that. Linus in his blanket. <laughs> exactly. And security I need one pens. of each type, so I'm never without the right type of pen. <laughs> well, okay. What about you, Derek? What kind of impact do you want your work to have on people? You know, I was thinking about it before we started this this podcast today, and it's one of those things that I don't know if I've ever really thought about that question all that mm. much. And it got me thinking. I was like, do I really care? But then at the same time, I'm like, well, of course I care. I wouldn't do what I do if I didn't care. Um, but I think, too, because most of what I create is mostly stuff for companies and for branding and for organizations, that there isn't as much of a personal association with them as it is with the work that Orange Nebula does, right? So it's interesting that there's... I, I considered that difference between them. But at the same time, like Mark was saying, you know, of course it would be great if somebody looked at the work Blue Blazes was putting out and was really inspired to kind of rethink that the what what branding what an organization could look like. Like an organization doesn't have to look like a crummy logo. Like it could look really, really good. And if that inspires somebody based on the work that we've done, I mean, that's something. So I think I came around to the idea that yeah, I think absolutely I would love it if um, people were inspired of it by it. Is it the main objective when I go into a project? No. Is it a byproduct that I definitely would like? Yes. Does that make sense? That is an important distinction. Just having having been on the product development side and the creative company that Orange Nebula is and also being on the Blue Blazes side where mm -hmm. we're doing service work, you know, in the service side, you're not making the decisions about what you're creating, right? right. You're making decisions about how you're creating it and you know, the effectiveness is the thing that you're going for, right? Mm -hmm. You want this to be effective. Yes, you want it to be beautiful. You want people to like it subjectively. But at the end of the day, people's subjectivity um, is not consistent. So, And I think to add on to that, because, you know, our work is, the value of our work is more or less based on a client's reaction or acceptance of said work, it almost requires designers in this field to almost not focus on what their work is going to inspire other people but make sure mm -hmm. it inspires them because at the end of the day like if a client doesn't like what we do that's okay just so as long as what would like internally what we feel like is like we're inspired what we create we're happy with what we've made we feel like it was a good challenge um and it ultimately elevated our our skill set overall so it's kind of an interesting perspective and mark i'm sure you have some ideas around that as well because well, you've been in that same space. Yeah. I mean, when you go to your doctor and he gives you blood pressure medicine, you know, it's not because he cares about how you feel about taking that blood pressure medicine. He doesn't right. want you to have a stroke, right? He doesn't right. want, he doesn't want you to have a heart attack. And, um, I think, I think solving problems to help push people forward is a measure of effectiveness more so than how we feel about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Is it, does it work? Do I love that color? Oh my gosh, that reminds me of, you know, this divine paint that I have in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. Or does this actually help move my company forward and affect our bottom line, right? So on the agency side, I think that's definitely and a lot of industries are that way. Like people people love effectiveness, right? Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. 
on the Orange Nebula side, the effectiveness comes from creating those experiences, right? How do people feel when they play a game? How do they people feel when they read our content? When they when they you know do they feel like they're part of our community? Are they moved when they see one of Krista's illustrations? You know, can they connect with the way that Lacey presents content and the enthusiasm and the vigor that she brings to that? So. There's some of those, you know, there's just different measurements mm-hmm. for different industries, I think. Well, I know when we do work with Orange Nebula as Blue Blazes and kind of work in tandem on certain projects, you know, I know that from my experience and seeing Kevin's experience working with a team who believes that very concretely about inspired thinking, that that same perspective trickles down into what we're doing because now we know that the client, you know, aligns well with what we what we want. Um, and so those sorts of projects that we perform or not perform, but produce for companies who have that line of thinking trickle down into our work. Does that make sense? I feel like I rambled. It's funny. It actually brings me back a lot to what Krista was talking about with her desire for her work to be a reflection for people. I think that's so true around so many things. You talk about creating a brand for people and what their reaction to it is you know, their reaction might be something like, oh, that doesn't feel like me because maybe they don't even know mm-hmm. what they look like, how they're perceived, you right. know? And so you're, we're dealing with how to represent people and their soul and their meaning with all of the content that we're creating. Um, yeah. It's interesting. It is. I'm about to launch into Krista Appreciation Day. So one of the things I appreciate about about Krista and her approach is she does a lot of research. She does a lot of studying uh, the real world um, as she as she puts her stuff together. Not just because she wants everything to be photorealistic, but because she wants to convey depth of meaning and she wants people to reflect. And I don't want to speak for you, but I can see that in the research that you do and the tact that you take with every illustration and the rationale that you present it with is, is, is deeper than most of the illustrators that I've worked with. And I've worked with quite a few. Um, so that's some praise for, for you, but, um, it goes back to art school for me. Um, and we could have a broader discussion about art and what you bring to it yeah. and what it is intended to show. So most people, when, um, you know, when they, when they are confronted with art, they, they subjectively look at it and they think, okay, well, what do I think about that? Um, and that is the point, right? Like, so you're bringing two, you're looking through a lens when you look at a piece of art or you look at anything really. Um, and I think an artist's desire sometimes gets overshadowed with what people choose to see. Right. Um, and so there's an interesting tension there. Have you experienced any of that? I, yeah, I, I am actually really fascinated at, the things that people find in what I do. And often it deepens the meaning Mm. because I come at this image or creation or something and I have this set of experiences and thoughts and feelings that I pour into it and I create this image. But a lot of those things that go behind the image are universal, like our experiences. And we don't have the Mm. same specific experiences, but somebody else can feel their own life and their own thoughts and their own feelings in that same image and it's just as true. So that's the mirroring, yeah. Exactly. So that makes me feel this way because I associate a certain way. It's because of what I bring to it. Um, I think that's really cool and, and you're right, the more feedback you get from a broad cross-section of people probably deepens the meaning of that one piece, right? Yeah, and strangely, the more personal 
I get like the more of myself I pour into a piece, then the more people seem to see themselves in it. Mm, that's which, interesting. Which is why I will always just keep going back to when we create projects, if we create them for our own healing, for our own purpose, yes. that's when it becomes something more. Exactly. When we try to make it for other people, it it doesn't work as well. thousand percent. You can sense it. You can sense the passion that people have in their work. You can see if this piece of pottery was put together by this potter more intentionally or more carefully than this one, right? Like, I think that's universally true. And I don't think you necessarily can look at the data. I think it's a sense that you have to... How much passion was put into this cheese? I can tell every time. I'm like, there's a certain level of passion. It's, it's how so much, much passion you cheese right now. Cheese. How much passion you bring to the cheese, right? That's <laughs> We're going back to art. Like, passion I have cheese. chosen this to be the ultimate cheese, even though it's lousy cheese. The it's, ultimate it, there's cheese. no such thing to you. All right, let's move on to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's a question. We're going to get deep on this one. What was your childhood like? Do you think your experiences in childhood have influenced your present creative endeavors? This is a very interesting one because I had to go back in the old D-Lock archives, the old brain archives. <laughs> I'd like to see what that file request looks like. It's just, <laughs> is, this, is this all a setup? Yeah, really. <laughs> How did you, yeah, you managed to get me here. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go first, Mark? Yeah, who wants, to, who wants to dive into that one? thinking i mean the childhood soup of life if i look back and i think about boyhood right when i was small and you know it was superman and batman and spider-man and star wars and and that's kind of what it is now i mean i don't know what to say <laughs> has anything uh, truly changed nothing i mean i still don't have a working real lightsaber what the heck? you know mm -hmm. but get on it disney maybe it's up to me you know um i i do think Moving away from a very, you know, non-fictional world where, you know, like my mom, for example, she doesn't really like fiction as much. She likes true stories. She likes, you know, biographies and she likes history. And, and I'm kind of not that way. I'm much more, what if, you know? And I think something in my little brain when I was a young boy did kind of set that course early for, you know, broader than this but you know science fiction fantasy world building storytelling and i i i do find myself in the space where i want to make rather than study um i think study is a part of making but I'd, I'd instead of you know studying history and and getting geeky about that i'd rather make a new history for something else and, history. And I, now again I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna say that the more study you do the more competent you become at creating right so it takes both but i enjoy the, the creating part a lot more and i think that did come from boyhood you've you've settled into kind of having a life in imagination land yeah and i think part of it just most of my like my i can't turn my brain off like my mental space is very very active it goes until i'm completely asleep and then when i wake up it's just going again and um i'm sure everybody's different maybe um, I, I, I can't get in everybody else's head, but um, I can't really slow down the spinning in the head. And and I I found that channeling that into something tangible that other people can relate to is, you know, something that brings me joy and gratitude. And so 
from a from a design perspective, I, and I will say this. I'll just go back. Like I was a terrible graphic designer for a very very long time. I'm one of those people that didn't have natural talent growing up. I earned it, right? I, like I I did the work. I I spent much of my career cried just, many design tears. I cried many tears. <laughs> first Some of them were designed. Design. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I <laughs> tried to give away for free. They said no. Like, I, yeah, He's I did a away. lot of free work, especially in, in college and stuff like that for like the pizza place down the street and the coffee shops. I'm like, hey, you know, I'll do your menus mm -hmm. and um, Cutting give, me the a, teeth. give me a pizza, you know, and I was <laughs> super happy. I'm like, I don't have to pay for I this mean, pizza. I would work for pizza. Don't tell our clients that. Yeah. But. <laughs> and then I made like I will. No. <laughs> Yeah, I made a zine and stuff like that, and so I got all these other creatives to put, you know, their poems in there, and their. Yeah. I still have those. I will not share them with you. Too bad. Um, <laughs> That'll be on a, like an after dark version uh -huh. of that's the Oneb podcast. Right. The outpost after dark. So yeah, I, I mean, in retrospect, it's, you know, I've lived a, a few more years than you guys. Um, there have been some things that have been pretty consistent, and that's you know, I, I tend to lean towards fiction towards telling you know and creating a space for a mind to see something differently than it has before what if it was different what if it was you know what if gravity reversed every six hours you know like what if these weird ideas and mm -hmm. and a lot of people get joy out of that and some people just it's not their thing at all i'm like that's not realistic right so well and one thing that i find very impressive about you is that you going back to that childhood thing you've managed to maintain that spirit of wonder and creativity and enthusiasm and newness and also balance that with practical ability and like you know ability to navigate in the in the world and taxes and and all of these things that come with actually the business of running a creative life you want to raise don't you <laughs> so I think that's what this is. No, no thank you. It's granted. It's yours, Chris. I say it's yours. Well, I just I recognize that ability because that's something that that I struggle with. Like I have a lot of the creative and you know with this fantasy world, but then those coming back down to reality and practicality are so difficult. So I think that's a really rare balance. The the older you get, the more things you've seen, right? So some of this just comes with being alive, right? I don't want to take credit for all of that. It's just you go through things and you have more experience and it gives you more depth perception. Um, but I, I look at the group of people that we have here, all of us, and we make each other better too, right? So it's not about one person. It's about the it's 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 like a it's like a, a chorus right like everybody has a voice but together is what is where it really reverberates you know that's kind of what i was going to lean into as well you know i i would say my childhood very strongly mimics my adult life too my career um, my mom would always say i never played with toys she would just walk in and find me reciting movie and tv dialogue into the mirror and like <laughs> am i doing anything what different movies? right now like no i'm like looking at my phone doing instagram stories doing facebook lives <laughs> doing like how is that a single bit different what movie did you quote the most um it was mostly commercials like gotcha. i would i would memorize commercials and then i'd like say them into the mirror to myself when i'm alone and did you ever do vanna uh, no, she doesn't say anything. Vanna White. She just goes, Are you serious? <laughs> like, um, and the only way that I've been able to actually take those skills and turn them into a career is through like a team mentality. 
right? If I, as long as I tried to do things on my own, I couldn't really infuse these, these skills and passions that I have. But as soon as I started to build a team of people and I started to outsource things like taxes, like HR to people who are actually, that's what they're good at. As soon as I started that mentality, then I was able to take all of these these things that are alive inside me and have always been alive inside me and just be able to actually do them. Mm -hmm. um, so it sounds very similar to what you're talking about where it's mm -hmm. this chorus, right? You, you can't really unlock these parts of yourself until you've got this chorus and this support system. It's interdependence because we can't do the, our, we can't meet our potential alone, mm -mm. right? Like, I mean, you have to have other people make it stronger. I can't illustrate like Krista can. Um, and Chris's illustrations bring things to life and then Tom does writing and, and, you know, he looked over at our couch to try to say something that we could do he, that he, he was, couldn't he and was, then he looked away. He was searching deep yeah, and he was like, and I can find away. nothing here. <laughs> like, back to the most talented <laughs> person on the couch is Krista. <laughs> yeah. Back to Krista. Let me ask, talent. let me ask Derek then for you. I mean, what was your childhood like and how does that impact your career? Well, I was born on a Tuesday. <laughs> Oh, of course. November 24th, 1992. Um, no, I was trying to think about what... Is that uh, really your birthday? Yep, November oh. 24th. 82? No, 1992. I was like, wait a minute. Not 82. <laughs> Not 82. I'm a Sagittarius. Okay. Um, so I, I was thinking about like what influences kind of impact what I do today. And so for many, many years, about 12 years, I took piano lessons. So I'm a pretty proficient piano player. Um, but that idea, I mean, I've always been kind of musically inclined in terms of how I look at things. I love, I grew up on, you know, orchestration, going to the symphony, being exposed to a lot of those sorts of fine arts and musical things. Um, but even what I find today is like when I'm looking at a design, I almost look at the design in terms of like musical terms. Mm. Does it have rhythm? You know, does it have rhythm? Like the layout, especially like, does this... Does this have a rhythm that feels right? Or when I'm reviewing a video for editing, like it has to have a certain rhythm and a chorus. Um, videos especially, you know, you have to have a chorus. You have to have the bridge. Yeah, mm -hmm. you have to have all these like very similar elements um, in all the design that I do. So I think music has been the biggest influence and, and being exposed to that at a young age and then also practicing it as well. Because um, I was thinking about this on the way... I think I was going road trip somewhere, but I was realizing that it really doesn't matter what the song is. I rarely listen to the lyrics. Mm. I rarely listen to the lyrics. I listen to the way the backing track is composed. Um, you know, how does this stuff come together? How do these different elements interplay off of each other? And that, that's something that really like kind of struck me as like the way I look at how things are composed um, and structured in life and made my own life is very musical in its own way. So oh, I, I think that's, that's the biggest influence on my creative life mm, from childhood. I also really like trains. So I was, was going to say that for you. I'm like, <laughs> what about trains? So tra it's interesting you bring up trains because trains have like a very storied history with, especially through the streamliner age about like graphic design. Mm. And you look at old posters and that sort of stuff and they just had this beauty to them. That was so focused, like like the attention to detail on some of these steam locomotives from you know the early nineteenth century. Yeah, and, and so and also like okay, going back to like rhythm. Thank you, Mark. Yes, with the sound effects, it is perfect. 
It's exactly. Look, I can make train sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, you bring up a very good point. So I'm, I'm just going to go off a tangent here just because it's trains and I'm going to. Um, in Portland, we have the distinct honor of having one of the last remaining daylight locomotives from the Southern Pacific Daylight ran California um, down along the coast. And it's a beautiful locomotive. I mean, yes, I'm a train guy. Because I was going to say, you can see how deep he's going. There's a lot of people that are like, okay, it's a train, Derek, (laughs) calm down. But it's beautiful. It really is. But like the detail on that, like the way they, like the streamlining on it, the way they've placed the panels, the color scheme, the way that they've done the script on the daylight, um, like I encourage you, if if just look up the daylight, Southern Pacific daylight, and you'll know what I'm talking about. But it's just a beautiful mark, and it's kind of become a lost art in railways. So, but growing up with that and being exposed to that at a young age, much to the, the lament of my grandparents and parents, um, having to go to every single train thing imaginable um, had an influence on me as well. So, trains, trains and music, man, it's where it all started. Krista, have you always been this way? I have. <laughs> have you always been this way? I think you have. I feel like you have. <laughs> That's why I ask it that way. Yes, uh, as far back as I can remember. Um, so when I was very little, my dad was in the Air Force and we lived in Germany. And so we were always, my all my first memories are of travel and of just like exploring a new place every, you know, every, every week. And, um, so I think that's something that really impacted me of seeing all these different places, all these different environments, and that kind of set my normal. And I really, I have this just deep love of exploring, of seeing brand new things that I think definitely feeds my work. Like observation. She's hardly even in the office. We're just like, where's Krista? Like, what, she took off with her sketchbook. We have no idea where she went or when no, she's going to come back. It's like when you're in. see me because I'm sitting under my desk. It's like we were in Gen Con and we were like, where's Krista? And everybody was like, uh, we don't know. We think she's drawing somewhere. We know she's drawing. We yeah. just don't know where. I found her hidden between like uh, two columns of boxes at one point. Yep. like shoved herself in the corner. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Were, I you, love were, it. you, were you able to capture a cicada when you were there and draw it? No, everybody told me I could not pick it up, and then I never found another one. So thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for ruining it. Oh. <laughs> 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 All right, so I'm going to move us into the main topic now. Is that okay with everybody? Main I'll allow it. Everybody, topic. get on the train. We're moving into the main Choo-choo! topic. Okay, here we go. I love trains. I know you do. <laughs> So today's main topic is knowing when to quit, okay? We talk so much on this podcast about how to start and how to keep going. What, what are you getting up off the oh, couch Oh, I thought for? you said no, no when to quit. Oh, I, was, wow. I was quitting. <laughs> okay. Did I ruin it? Quit it's quitting. so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's let's change the conversation a little bit here. Sometimes there are projects that need to quit, you know, that you need to be done with. So when... Do you quit? What are Mark, why don't you start off with a couple of reasons why people might quit a project? Well, so when I look at I look at this topic and I think a lot of people say, "Well, I never quit," right? And what they're really getting at is they don't want to be a quitter, they don't want to give up, they don't want to have that mindset. The truth is to move ahead, you have to know when to quit. And at, at least that's how I believe. And 
knowing when to quit has a lot to do with when you're wasting time, when you're spinning your wheels and versus when am I doing something that might not pan out the way I want to, but I can still use this to benefit, right? So a lot of times you need to go through some things that aren't really going to have necessarily the fruit that you want them to have, but they're going to have a different type of a yield. So they're going to put you in position for something better, right? Does that make any sense? I, I think... I always wonder how I can ask questions to get you to actually answer them. What are a few things <laughs> <laughs> that would be reasons to quit? Really? Well, I was setting it up. Okay. I wasn't done. I'll get back on the train. <laughs> I'll tell you what aren't... I'm not even going to answer your question. <laughs> he's not. It's, go he's now now it's a defiance saying. Now he's just not going to. Here, here, I'd do the same thing. Here, these are not reasons to quit because you're tired, um, because you don't think you have enough resources, because you don't think you have enough time. Uh, those are not good reasons to quit. A good reason to quit is if it's actually costing you something greater, right? So like if the time that you would be spending doing mm. this, saying yes to this means you have to say no to something better or something greater. And the reverse is also true. If I say no to this, I protect my no, then I can say yes to the thing that really matters. So that's how I think about when I should quit something. Is this going to work? Um, and, and you guys see me do this in, in the office sometimes with some things that we're trying. I, I say we're experimenting. We're going to see if this works. And if it doesn't, we'll bail and we'll go do something else, right? Sometimes you just have to do that. And I think, I think the problem that I've faced most often is for people saying, no, it's just beneath me to quit. And that mindset is not always healthy. Uh, sometimes you have to quit to take advantage of the opportunity that is the most significant for you. Yeah, nobody wants to be known as being a quitter, but honestly, sometimes it's healthy and it shows more self-respect than people realize. And I mean, I guess we kind of have to have to define it because we can have so many conversations within the idea of quitting. Um, I listened to a bunch of content from Glennon Doyle and she says, I quit every day. Every single day I quit. I get up and I put every bit of effort I have into stuff and then I quit and I don't care for, you know, X number of hours because if I don't quit every single day, then I'm burnt out in very true. little amount of time. Very true. So there are times when quitting things, even if it's for a small amount of time, is beneficial. Stopping and quitting. I, I see that as stopping. Okay, that makes sense. Quitting is like, I'm done, done. But that's just the way I think about it. Maybe I need to think about it differently. Because some of the notes that I have that I'm thinking of is like, what's the difference between quitting and refining? Right? Because I know in my business model, I had started with offering this wide breadth of services. And, and I've quit doing... 75% of what I originally was doing because I've refined and refined and refined down to something that fits better, that, you know, we produce better. So does that count as quitting? I feel like that's part of the quitting process. Like the intentional quitting process is looking and analyzing what, do, what are we good at? What do we want to keep doing? What do we want to stop doing? What do we want to start doing? I see that as finishing. Mm. So that's different uh, for me. And this is just my my weird brain, but the refinement process is almost like giving yourself permission to, to let this come to a close, mm -hmm. right? That, that doesn't resonate with me as quitting. Quitting is like, this is not done. 
I'm done, mm-hmm. right? Like that's how I think about the word quit. Quit means, you know, I'm not working on this project anymore. I'm not working with these people anymore. Um, this isn't working. That's what quit means. What you just described to me though, I think is necessary for finishing well, right? So I go through these refinements and I like, I don't want to leave any, you know, loose ends. I want to tie them up. And so that's finishing and then stopping. We've got three terms here. Like, like Lennon Doyle mentioned is basically just creating healthy boundaries. So you're not overworking. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, okay, well I'm going to stop at a certain point so that I can stay fresh and have a, have a good work life balance. That's how I interpret those things. That's just my view. I was going to say, I have, a, I have a very similar view to that, but I was thinking about it and I was like, yep, I agree. I agree. And then I was like, but aren't all of those terms just, they lead to the same thing. Like you were done with it. Like, are we in, are we using other words to avoid the word quit because we have been told that quitting is bad? And it's just a psychoanalyst thing. So obviously it's a rhetorical question. So, but so quitting to me though means you're not going to pick it up again though. Like, like you're like, it's deleted. Right. And that's the thing is I think a lot of times the idea of quitting is overgeneralized and that there's much more nuance within it that would make it less scary for people. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if quit wasn't this big dark umbrella that meant stopping anything and we had just better def- definitions within the idea of stopping, refining, um, I think it would be less of a conversation overall uh, or at least a more intentional conversation. And I think some of that's because we have like put so much negative emphasis on the word quit. Yes, I agree. Nobody wants to be a quitter. And so we kind of like have tried to fillet the word quit into different words to make it not seem as bad. But m- what I was saying earlier was like, don't they all essentially mean the same thing? And isn't it okay? Like, yeah, can I, we normalize quitting? That, that I think is the root of it. Like just normal. It's okay. It's like saying no. Like it's okay to say no. It's okay to quit. Sometimes I think so I'm reading and I have read several times Seth Godin's book, The Dip um, and the difference between people. (laughs) I know the difference between people thinking that I've given everything that I can and this just isn't worth it is what prevents them from accomplishing the thing that they want and they quit too soon. So there is a tension here between when is the appropriate time to quit and when is it not appropriate? And that's a decision everybody gets to make. But I will say that the people who accomplish the most in this life have a greater threshold for enduring what's necessary to not quit so that they can attain the thing that they want. And those people are very few and their positions are scarce and the benefits that come with them are huge. And that's why, everybody idolizes their accomplishments and their achievements, but they've paid their dues to get there. And I think the fact that most people quit too early, and I say most, that's just like statistical data um, that I can't reference for you right now, but I mean, generalized knowledge um, is that that's, that's what holds people back is the, is the fear and they quit early. Um, to contrast that, there is, a, there is an appropriate time to quit. Um, and you have to weigh that out. So Krista, I have a specific question, but before we get there, what are your kind of reactions to this? Yeah, I definitely think it's a fascinating balance because any strength taken to its extreme can become a weakness. 
in my personal life, I kind of feel, or in my personal experience, I feel like I have this tenacity, this desire to hold on and cling on to everything, and but also to to try and do a lot of things, to explore a lot of avenues. So I end up, you know, holding so tight to all these things. And what I found is that when you have so many things, you know, they each take away from one another. So if you're trying to do everything, you're clinging to everything, then you don't have enough time and resources for those things that really matter that on the, the deepest level are what you feel and know you should be pursuing mm, I think that's really wise I picture it like somebody holding on to uh, like monkey bars like maybe pretty far apart and they're holding on so tight but like if they would just let go there's like a trampoline at the bottom <laughs> you know and they can like bounce on it and um, so what about from an artistic perspective for you because you your art you have to make and let go and make and let go and so how do you figure out when to quit something I mean in the middle of a project that you're writing or or that you're drawing do you ever just quit it's you know it's like it's not working out and you just quit yeah that's a that's a really good question I think being aware like monitoring my process throughout the course of it can be really helpful because with an illustration it can be so easy to keep pouring into it you know there's all these stages you go through you go through the sketch and then you, you know, begin to add values you begin to you know add detail and it's really important to have a strong foundation a strong sketch a strong composition strong value structure and at a certain point if you go too far then all the added work you're doing isn't making it better sometimes if you can identify that there's a problem early and quit and maybe start a new drawing a new sketch and and fix those problems then you're going to have a much faster and better result mm. the wisdom in the idea that if the foundation isn't solid and it then it doesn't matter what you add to it you should probably quit that's impactful it's like the whole idea of petting your painting i don't know if you're familiar, familiar with that one but the whole idea is that you can like something is done yet you just want to continually add refinements and keep doing it but if you're like you're just petting your painting at that point mm -hmm. it's not yeah. a petting zoo and something i really console myself with is the idea of iteration like i want every piece to be perfect mm -hmm. and i want it to just have that you know that spark of life and that communicative essence um but sometimes you just have to let one be done and know that you can iterate on it and that with each piece you learn, sometimes you can learn a lot more by doing something multiple times or by applying what you've learned to the next piece mm. than you can by just trying to fuss with that same piece mm -hmm. and make it that perfect image. Because quitting also means you can start over. Exactly. Yeah, rebuilding. Mm. Rebuilding. Mm-hmm. I have to ask myself that a lot because even in my own business, we have so many projects that we work on, right? You know, we've got our main service offerings and then we've got a podcast and then we've got, uh, you know, community service projects that we're trying to do. And I find myself thinking, okay, I mean, who are, are we really serving? Like, are we actually providing value? And if we're not, what things do we need to let go of in order to really have something of value to give? And that's really hard. It's hard to reflect on your own work in a group of people and ask does this have value like that's a kind of painful especially when you vulnerable. spend so much time trying to make it have value mm -hmm. and you find that it doesn't that's really difficult to say i quit that and i guess from a business perspective okay. too when you poured funds into something and you're like you know okay we need to ask as a group mm. <laughs> has this investment been 
you know, is it still worth it? Is this investment still worth it? Yeah, so many samples came into my head. The stock there. market of life. Yeah, so so like you'll you'll look at a brand. Let's say there's a brand that's established and maybe it's got 400 employees and they're doing 25 million a year and they want to do a rebrand. They want a new logo, and then we're like, okay, well you need to rewrap all your trucks and you re- need to redo all your signs and that's going to cost another half million dollars. They're like, oh, you know what? Maybe maybe what we have is fine. Like, <laughs> you know, you're pot committed at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's just the barrier to entry is so high. Those are all considerations, right? Um, to whether you should you should do that. But counting the cost and getting the foundational stuff planned out and strategized first, I think, is very critical. That's one of the things we talk about when we when we bring out a branding client is that you know at at this point, like this is your most integral phase. You have to make sure that your brand communicates what you want to communicate clearly. You can't just go to 99designs, have somebody whip up a quick logo with some clip art and expect that to carry you to where you really want to be. Now is the time you need to put in the hard work. You need to figure it out and move forward from there. Then that's going to avoid the problem of having to rebrand in five years when you already spent, you know, 30 grand unwrapping your trucks and X, Y, Z. Like it just branding is one of those things like you've got to get it right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can make your own clothes too. Right. Yeah. But if you don't know how to sew, that's going to really be a challenge. Yeah. You know, I think about one of the things that people might want to take into consideration when they're deciding to quit something or not is that I'm not sure that's a decision that you make all by yourself. You know, sometimes in our own minds and our own heads and our own hearts, we're clouded and we're too close to things to be able to make that decision without outside input. Mm-hmm. Um, I think bringing a, uh, team discussion or a group discussion around what you're feeling and what you're seeing and asking for other people's input. It's a very vulnerable position to be in, but it leads to a decision that has more confidence. Quitting is lossy. Quitting requires sacrifice. You're going to lose something when you quit. You're going to lose everything that you've put in up to that point. Um, And that's why it's costly and that's why it needs to be measured carefully. And if the opportunity that you're going to gain is greater, then that's probably an indicator that you should quit. Um, but I would not be hasty about that decision. You know, I think I have been in the past and it hasn't worked out well. Um, we owe it to ourselves and to the people around us to make really good decisions about the things that we choose to do and the things that we quit and then how we execute those things. And what I have noticed in my life is the people who pour the most extra effort extra mile type mentality into what they're doing are the ones that have the highest yield the ones that like hey the client's only paying for this so we're not going to do the other stuff that's really hard you know like if you say well the client's paying for this but this is who we are and so we're going to give them this extra thing because Mm -hmm. that's what the brand needs Mm -hmm. that's where we win and then the client can feel that and then the client goes and refers you to 40 more people and you have you know like there's a yield beyond what you're thinking even if the client doesn't like it, like you can feel good from a design perspective as an agency that you did what was right and you can rest easy knowing you did that. Like you did what was right. And it doesn't really matter at that point. Whether we'll just tell them they're uneducated. It. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Cool. You don't understand me. And slam the door. In you face. don't understand branding. <laughs> one thing. I'm joking. One thing that kind of spurs off of Krista's idea of this solid foundation I think a good reason to quit something is if it grows away from your values. Yes. 
you know, if you started something and this and the foundation wasn't mm-hmm. solid and over time it evolves into something that actually isn't in line with your values, that's a good time to quit. That's something. an excellent point because you can't always see that coming. Yeah. You can't you it drifts, right? It's scope creep or it's some type of a drift and you're like, you know what? There's twelve people involved in this and we started out with this you know, this goal and all of a sudden it's become this other thing. We need to get back on track, right? So let's quit going in that direction and let's, yeah, course correct. So one thing I've been thinking about and Krista, I've heard you talk about is, is how do you know, like, what does it feel like? What sometimes people confuse the idea of, of knowing that it's time to quit with, with other feelings that they might be experiencing. So talk to me about that a little bit. I think a lot of times, we do know but we don't want to know like we can sense when it is time to quit or when it is not time to quit but we just we just don't want to listen to it like sometimes we have poured so much of ourselves into something we've given our time our energy our you know heart and soul to something and you don't want to let it go you want to see that be successful but you can feel that that is not the case and so there's this kind of like this element of denial, like you're tr- just trying to make it work. And so, but then there's other times, and so in that case, that would be a time to quit. But then there's other times when, you know, if you listen to that inner feeling, it is fear that's telling you it's time to quit. Or perhaps it's other people who are telling you that it is time to quit or that it's not worthwhile, but you can just feel in your gut that this is something that you have to do, you were made to do, it provides value and meaning to yourself and others, and you just know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's wise. You know, it almost makes me want to counter, it's important to have group discussions around when it's time to quit, but that decision ultimately needs to be from what's inside you and not not influenced. It could be educated and informed by, but maybe not influenced by other people. Exactly, yeah. Okay, well, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy, which means we're nearly done to this done with this conversation. Everybody else happy? Lacey's happy. I'm Lacey happy. ain't happy and nobody happy. Well, if you enjoyed... Happy. If you enjoyed this conversation and uh, you want to share it with somebody who you think it might be helpful to, that would be great. Send them this episode. Um, If you enjoyed it, uh, review the podcast if you haven't done so already. Subscribe. Um, And we just, we're grateful for you. I'm grateful for you three being here and spending some time with me. Ditto. Um, And we're grateful for everybody listening. So we hope you stay inspired. Uh, We hope you think big. And we'll be here uh, when you're ready for some more inspiration. Okay? Talk to you soon. We're now quitting. Tell them to smash that like button. (laughs) I quit. Go back to your cage. You're going to (laughs) find. Yes, master.